Welcome to Awards Radar, the podcast, a weekly discussion of the awards races, Hollywood news, and the films you should have on your radar. Here's your host, Joey Magidson. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Awards Radar podcast. Uh, Not a great day, guys and girls. Uh, We're recording this on Tuesday, the 24th, and, uh, you know, we, uh, we live in America, so... Bet you can't guess what happened. So, uh, if we're not in the best of spirits, keep that in mind. This is obviously meant to entertain you guys, so we'll we'll try not to go off on too many uh, angry rants about the state of the world. But no promises. Um, but Miles and Steve are here. Miles, how are you? I'm, you know, I'm doing as well as can be expected in a country that prioritizes owning an AK-47 over the lives of children. So whatever. Yeah, Steve. How about you? You uh, are a parent, so I'm sure this is uh, especially a shitty day. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It should be a shitty day for every, everybody. You don't have to be a parent yeah. to have a heart, but you, I guess you have to be... Uh, I don't know I don't know what you need to have a heart in, in uh, when it comes to some politicians. It's fucked up, man. That's all. Yeah. It's not, it's not great. And I, uh, you know, we, we see all the things that, uh, you know, you inevitably know are going to be the responses and you know the guy didn't have a white enough sounding name so it was an immigration issue until they found out he's here he's a you know a citizen it's you know we need to arm teachers because you know more guns is the solution it's it's nonsense and as someone who does teach from time to time i uh, you know have been involved in and will i'm sure have to do it again next time i'm in the next few days i'm sure um, lockdown drills where you basically simulate for small children how to not get killed when someone tries to shoot you. And uh, let me tell you, that's not fun. It, and especially you're not really explaining why to small children. You're just kind of teaching them how to do it. It's uh, it's not great. And I, I put a little something on the site just, you know, I, at the end of the day, really the only thing you can do is vote. You know, vote for people who won't let this be the status quo. And if they're happy with the way things are don't be happy with them because they're they're happy with it because they're getting paid like there's money in it for them there's no money in it for you i uh i remember years ago and i i had retweeted it you know the gun's a constitutional right but the you know the health care is a privilege or you know the right to uh have your control over your own body is something that the courts can decide and you know someone years ago had, had been like nothing's free and uh, no, one thing is free. You know what's free? The It costs nothing for someone to shoot you. Like, that can just happen. It happened to someone in New York a couple days ago just riding the subway I ride. Just someone can blow you away. And, you know, I don't know that there's a solution that'll cut the number down to zero. But there are solutions that will reduce the number. And, and why that's not priority one, two, three, four, and five is absurd. And it's also absurd that, you know, more politicians than not want this. You know, the president wants this. Like, most people want what we're talking about, and a select few prevent it from happening. And it's, uh, it's bullshit. It's bullshit, and it's bad for you to quote, quote George Carlin, whose very good documentary is now playing on HBO. So that's sort of where we are. Um, so, you know, that's on our mind as we do this. We'll, we'll do our best to not let it be the focus, but... It is the focus because that's just sort of how we're uh, how we're dealing. So as we as we get into newer stuff, let's let's talk about something from last week. Um, 
right after we had done the recording, I saw Men before it came out. Obviously, the review went up on the site. Uh, Miles has since seen it. Steve, I don't think you've seen it yet, right? All right. I think you'll like it when the time comes, but um, it's uh, it's an interesting film, so I wanted to briefly talk about it. Um, interestingly, uh, there was a discussion on Twitter that uh, a couple of our, our writers and former writers were involved in. I forget exactly who, so I won't leave names out, just because, about how it was a movie destined to get an F cinema score. And I had, I had responded to them that I think it's so very much that film that it won't. Miles, do you know what score it got over the weekend? It, I think it ended up with a D plus. Exactly. Like I so, so just missed it by that much. Yep. Just enough people who are like, I think I know what this is up to. But um, having seen it, I think you can agree that like this is this is the type of movie that gets an F cinema score. Oh, totally. It's. I mean, one of the more interesting things over the weekend is just how far-ranging the takes on it have been. You've yeah. got some people saying, oh, this is masterful cinema, and others saying, that was a fucking stupid waste of time. And I kind of agree with both of them. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. We'll, we'll get into it. <laughs> I think it's it's largely a good movie. I think um, Jesse Buckley is is great. I think Roy Cochran is great. I think they both might have... Kinnear. Their, Kinnear, sorry. Um, very different um, person. Um, they're both... Um, maybe at their best and they're asked to do very, very different things. I think, I think, um, Rory especially is, is really doing something we've never seen before. Um, at least from him. Um, and it's, it's, it's esoteric and it's weird and obtuse and, but nothing beyond the pale really until the last 15, 20 minutes or so. Is that the right timing? Yeah. Yeah. The last 15, 20 minutes has, a thing that we won't spoil here, but yeah. man alive. All, all I'll say to that is, I don't care what your movie is, putting that sequence in any movie is a huge ask of your audience to go along with you because, whew, like, I, that kind of thing is my bag, but it is tough to watch. Yeah, because you're, so, for anyone who has no idea what this movie is about, um, it's Jesse Buckley basically going going on to an airbnb outside of town there's been a tragedy in her life or her husband has recently uh committed suicide and and she's going to get away from it all type thing and as she's settling in you you see his death you see what happened right before you see what happened right after and it provides some degree of information but it's also kind of not factoring in in ways that you pay attention to yet because at the same time um, the guy who who owns the, the this big home that she's staying in is is awkward, but not dangerous, but like just a little off. And then she's walking in the woods, and there's a hobo type person who seems very off. And then one by one, everyone she interacts with, which by the way are all played by the same actor, it, this is quite literally almost a two hander, uh, are are treating her off and badly and, and off putting and. These microaggressions that, you know, any one is not a huge deal, but put together is this just ominous presence and it gets progressively worse. And then we get to the moment that, that Miles hinted at. And it's just it's interesting when you realize what the movie's going for. But like he said, it's it's going for something that then asks you to, to sit back and essentially observe an act for a sustained period of time. That it takes 
I say you either get it almost immediately what it's doing, or you have to wait for it to finish to get what it's doing. And that's a that that fifteen minutes is a is a huge ask, especially coming after kind of its most not generic is the wrong word, but closest to a horror movie sequence, which is well done enough and has a a bit of gore that's pretty cool and that it serves a narrative purpose and it's very weird rare that gnarly like gore serves a purpose like that but it, it, it does end on a note that i can imagine being in in a non-press screening environment where the murmuring afterwards is a lot of like wait what that that it's was like, my theater it was a lot of what the fuck was that yeah and 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 the the ever so uncommon i guess you being like no i liked it i don't know that i, I liked it like in terms of enjoyed but what it set out to do, I believe it was successful at, which was to put off most people. Yeah, it definitely did that. Well, I haven't seen Crimes of the Future yet. I'm sure we'll get into it in a minute. But um, it, it, this is, you know, Alex Garland, who's a phenomenal director, also did Ex Machina, Annihilation. He did the miniseries Devs, which I think more people should check out because it's kind of brilliant. Um, you know, this is him there's not really much of any sci-fi in this one. It is straight kind of folk horror. Um, definitely leaning into some heavy body horror aspects, um, especially, you know, with that last act. Um, in many ways, this feels like him almost doing like a Lars von Trier film. Yeah. Like I got, I got very hard, like antichrist vibes from this one. Really? And like antichrist, this is a film that I, mostly enjoyed like i think it's very well directed there's some beautiful shots in it the music is really interesting uh everything you said about jesse buckley and rory kinnear they are doing phenomenal work in some ways it's almost a shame because they're such good performances that it's almost a shame that they're trapped in a movie that i think will be kind of inaccessible to a lot of people um, just a little bit of background with this one. Um, it's one of the very few movies these days that I saw without my wife. Um, hmm. Because of the subject matter, I kind of wanted to pre-screen it for her. Yeah. And I'm glad I did because even taking aside the body horror stuff, there is some content here, especially in the uh, in the flashbacks to her relationship with her husband that... I can see being kind of triggering for people. And yeah. I think anyone who's been in a similar dynamic will definitely, they go very raw with it. And, you know, this is not a, it's fascinating because this is not a subtle movie at all, but no. at the same time, it's subtle to a fault. Yeah. Cause I, it, it does, it does that thing that a lot of quote unquote elevated horror does now where it kind of it, a monster as an allegory for something and it kind of tries to have its cake and eat it too by, you know, it is clear from the visual storytelling what is physically happening, but it's also clear that this thing doesn't exist outside of being, you know, it's there to carry the metaphor. You see the same thing in like the Babadook or It Follows. But I think with this one, and this is, and this is, I've actually, I don't think I like it as much as I did when I first talked to you about it. Yeah, I, I, I still think it's really well made, but I, because the last act is such a big ask with what it presents you with, I kind of found myself wishing that it had a little more to say, because yeah. the points that it's making are kind of basic and kind of straightforward, and. 
I almost feel like this concept, and especially the concept of quote-unquote the monster, when you sort of gradually understand what is going on to a certain extent, I think conceptually that it would have worked really well as either a short film or like an episode of The Twilight Zone or something like that. Mm. I think when stretched out to feature length, it leaves you with a lot of sort of woman running from someone in a field or a woman evading someone in a house. I mean, the last act is essentially a high concept home invasion thriller. Yeah. And and it works on a filmmaking standpoint, but in terms of the story being told, it's almost a little too simple for how complex it is. Yeah, you, you start trying to figure out, like, the gimmick, which is not the right word for it, but because you've, you sort of are balancing how much is happening and how much is, is the metaphor, anytime something physical goes on, you're kind of like chalking it up in your head is like, well, I need to make sure that that gets like referenced as opposed to, okay, is that something in her head? There's, there's a little bit of that going on. And then I also just, I don't love the last 30 seconds of the movie. Like, cause it's yeah. a huge ask, huge ask reveals what and it wants to be and is like out there, but you sit with it for a second, quite literally. And then there's this extra scene that, feels like it's out of a much safer film unless i'm misreading that like no i i think it's there to sort of highlight that this wasn't all a dream without giving anything away but it also i think it the integration of it is awkward because it's the finale such as it yeah well in the finale such as it is it, it it does leave off in a way where you wouldn't be surprised to find out that there was another like 10 minutes of the movie left that got cut for because they thought this was a better ending point. And so it does leave you with this weird, it's very abrupt. Yeah, It's very just, like, after all the buildup, you're kind of like, oh, okay, that was it. Especially if it's, if it's just taken on face value as like, oh, this is a comforting presence after all this. And you're like, yeah, is that really the point you want to leave us with? Um, well, exactly. It's, it's it's, so simple. It doesn't. It doesn't tie into the overall message, but also the overall message doesn't really get resolved in any satisfying way. It's clearly yeah. like what the movie is saying about men, such as it is. You don't really learn more about the vantage point of that from the beginning to the end of the movie. The message is always the same. It's just different ways of showing it. And I will say, on a uh, performance standpoint. Rory Kinnear, I mean, a lot of people will probably primarily know him either as Tanner from the recent Bond films or from that episode of Black Mirror where he had to fuck a pig. But he's like, is he the prime minister? He's the prime minister, exactly. And he's he's he gets cast a lot as like a very straight man, sort of, you know, bureaucratic government official type. But seeing his work in this and like Our Flag Means Death recently, he is a character actor and he's like he flourishes when he's given like these really weird sort of quirky i mean his best work is as sort of the awkward like uh landlord that and Um, the 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 vicar and the vicar yeah he's very good there but even more impressive i think than the um than you know him playing all these different sort of characters is he really gets like like you were saying, the microaggressions, like the delivery of these very sort of pointed, like, 
not quite hostile, but still thrown in in such a way where it sort of makes you uncomfortable. Like yeah. the delivery is always seamless and it's really pretty impressive from an acting standpoint. And Jesse Buckley too. I mean, whenever Rory's not playing one of the many men, it's kind of just her. Yeah. And she really has to carry the movie on her shoulders, which is pretty incredible considering she doesn't, there's not a lot to her character. Like she doesn't have much of an inner life outside no, of like what the works, men are doing to her. Yeah. She works at one point, but if you ask me what she does, I don't know. No. And, well, and there's kind of this undercurrent that like, maybe she used to be a musician or she wanted to be, but she didn't, she put well, it aside for whatever reason, I but guess, that's not given enough room to breathe to really amount to anything. I almost think that was even less. So when it was just, I'm keeping a bit of information from you because I feel like I don't want to tell you about myself. So if you ask, well, yeah, but play, then it, but then no. it comes, but then it comes back when she does play, and again in the tunnel scene, which is the best part of the movie, yeah. which is why they put it in the trailers, where she's like, she's clearly harmonizing and creating this like tune, and like you know, it's it's a nice little moment of like you know, she's relaxing and she's able to sort of you know just get away from everything and then of course it's rudely interrupted by the creepy naked drifter totally um well if any of you saw it and judging by the box office you didn't um let us know um steve if slash when you get around to it feel free to chime in i'd be curious what you thought but uh it would be the weirdest thing we'll talk about today but it won't be um but before we get into that because i i literally saw crimes of the future a couple hours ago um Let's do one of Ryan McDermott's Filmaholic face-offs. Um, believe it or not, we have a Cronenberg one. It's almost like uh, this is planned out in some way. Um, it's a little smaller than some of the other ones, just because as, uh, as Ryan uh, messaged me, wow, this filmography is way more obscure than I thought it was. So, you know, there's, there's going to be some left off that you, we know about, um, but, you know, pairing them up maybe proved a little more difficult than... Uh, and thought of so this is kind of like greatest hits so keep that in mind um so first up we've got scanners or the dead zone um scanners is good it's very early cronenberg and so it's not fully formed like some of his early later films would go on to be or sort of his middle section yeah. um but it's kind of its biggest thing is the scene that everybody knows which is the exploding head which to its credit, is one of the best exploding heads in film history. Yeah. Um, but I think The Dead Zone has a bit more meat on its bones and is a bit clearer about what it's trying to be. So I'm going to go with The Dead Zone. Yeah, early early Cronenberg is very heavy on the metaphor and very low on money to do anything with the metaphor. So there's a lot of the concept has to carry the weight. I'm thinking of like, uh, was it Shivers, his first film? Shivers, Rabbit is kind of like that. Yeah, his first couple movies are almost similar in that it's like, well, I don't want to make a zombie movie, but this is as close. But to that's my what's going to sell or whatever. Yeah. yeah, or even like his his crimes of the future from the seventies that has nothing to do with this new one. Um, Steve, where are you on Scanners of the Dead Zone? I will go with the Dead Zone. I don't have strong feelings on either. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that I have a strong feeling either on on either as well. So I think I'll I'll make it a sweep, just for ease of use. Um, next up, The Fly or Videodrome? Uh, these are definitely two of his stronger films. Uh, these are from that era where, you know, he did have money to do these sort of more high concept things. But he'd also, like, matured as a storyteller to where he got the balance right. Um, Videodrome is great. It's very prescient. 
it does suffer in a modern watch because of the whole James Woods of it all, which when I tried to show my wife and my friend uh, last year, I think we even watched it during my um, 31 Days of Halloween. Yeah. Uh, they were both very unimpressed. Um, that said, The Fly is my favorite Cronenberg film. Jeff Goldblum is phenomenal in it. Some of the best practical special effects that have ever been in a movie. And it's one where the message is really clear. The storytelling is really crisp. Like, th- that's a banger for me. It's in my top three horror films of all time. Nice. Steve? Uh, I agree. The Fly is... Uh, the Fly is probably his best, in my opinion. So, The Fly, for all the reasons. And I saw that it, at a young age, and I revisited it, uh, I think, was it last year? And thought, I was worried that it wouldn't hold up. And it more than held up. I thought it was actually much better, especially looking back at it with more adult eyes and mentality. Yeah. I, um, believe it or not, have more recently seen the Vincent Price fly. It was on, <laughs> must have been like TCM or something like that. And it's very, very old fashioned, but kind of works. Like there's something about that premise when you take away almost all the technological prowess that a modern film has, or even an 80s film. And it still kind of works. There's something that, that compels you and grabs your attention. Um, and that's not take, to take away from Cronenberg's version. Um, that being said, I will go Videodrome. I, I really do love Videodrome. And sure, James Woods probably takes it down a couple pegs if I thought about it, but I haven't revisited it yet. So since whatever the last time I watched it was, when he was creepy but not a monster yet so i'm happy to uh keep the sweep from happening just for the fun of it not everything being a sweep here long live the new flesh next up dead ringers or crash i haven't seen crash in a very long time and i remember enjoying it but i don't remember much about it i mean outside of sort of the core concept yeah i'll refresh your memory people get turned on by car crashes and fuck yeah, um, no, I mean, it's it's a classic, you know, young James Spader is horny about the weirdest things. There's a, it pairs well at least a trilogy. He, uh, I will say that that movie, well, um, gnarly and, and off-putting and, and I would imagine many budding cinephiles first NC-17 movie. Probably not I could theater, see that. But like, you know, on, um, was, I, was IFC always IFC? Was there another version of that, like, earlier on? But that was, for, I remember being one of the few channels besides the premium channels that was unedited. And, like, HBO was never showing Crash. But, like, whatever IFC was, it might not have always been IFC. It might have been, like, the independent film channel and just called itself that. That's where you would see Magnolia. That's where you would see Crash. That's where you would see Naked Lunch. You would see video. You know, you could watch these kind of, like, tough films and... Crash is a is a real endurance tense a test, um, but you're about yeah. to talk about Dead Ringers, so compare it to that. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, they're both sort of uh, Cronenberg playing in a similar register, although Dead Ringers is obviously a little bit more fantastical. Um, I think Dead Ringers was one that it's actually probably the one I've seen the most recently of his filmography. I, I caught hmm. up to it kind of late, and I think. The performance, the two performances of Jeremy Irons in that are sort of what elevates it and what keeps it going. Yeah. But I 
I don't know that the movie is as interesting as the concepts and the performances are sort of, you know, papering that over. Like there is some body horror stuff, but it's very kind of few and far between. Yeah, it's, it's much more end, of a psychological. Right? Th- exactly. And it's much more of a psychological thing for the most part. I think I will go Dead Ringers just because I it's been so long since I've seen Crash. Maybe if I revisit it, I'd put that one up. But I remember more about Dead Ringers. So I think for that alone, it'll get my vote. Fair. Steve? Yeah, it's been a long time for both. So um, I remember Jeremy Irons' performance. That's about it. Like, you know, I remember parts of the films, but what stands out is Iron. So I'll go with Ringers as well. Hmm. And uh, yet again, we're going to have an almost sweep sullied by me because I'll go Crash. They're both, I think everyone is correct. You know, Dead Ringers has the best performance of the group. Um, I kind of like the the just out there batshit weirdness of Crash a little more. And they're both about equally, I don't want to say forgotten in my mind, but I remember being like, that's good. Also, I don't know. It's one of those. I don't know who I would recommend it to, which we have. Yeah. Well, th- well, that's the way I felt coming out of Men, which is why it felt appropriate to sort of tie into this. Totally. Yeah, but I would say neither of them are among my favorite of Cronenberg's work. No, 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 no. They're they're sufficiently like good examples of what he does, but maybe not the best examples of what he's capable of. Um, right. Though he also works in other registers. I mean, those are sort of some of the body horror elements now you get into like his his classy period which first up we got a history of violence or eastern promises i knew it was going to be these two yeah yeah um splitting those up <laughs> no of course not um part of the reason i'm excited for crimes of the future is i think vigo mortensen has done his best work under cronenberg mm. um give or take a dangerous method but you know well, hold that thought that, a little bit yeah i know um, but I, like history of violence and Eastern promises are probably my two favorite performances of his. I think he's so good in both of them. And for those movies kind of representing a bit of a shift, uh, for Cronenberg away from the more cerebral stuff, or at least the more physically cerebral stuff into more, you know, thrillers or sort of thought exercises. Yeah. Um, they're both great. I, I really enjoy both films. I think, when I had seen Eastern Promises for the first time, if you'd asked me then, I probably would have said it's the better film. But having rewatched both of them, History of Violence has always stuck with me. That's one that I can always come back to. It's short. It's like easy to show people. It's easy to just enjoy. Like it's very well made. It's very efficient. Um, you know, Academy Award nominee William Hurt for like 10 minutes of screen time. Maria um, Bello snubbed. Maria Bello, she should have been nominated, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, yeah, it, it's, you know, it's close, but I think I will go History of Violence. Hmm. Steve? Yeah. Yeah. These um, two are playing in very similar registers. Yes, for sure. Yeah, they do. Um yeah, I'm going to go with Eastern Promises. I, I mean, I think they're both great. and But you know what? I don't think Eastern Promises gets the love, the same amount of love. So I'll send, I'll send some its way. All right. Eastern uh, Promises has one of the best naked fight scenes in film yeah, history. Yeah. It gives, gives new meaning to sword fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see what I did there? It is a really good scene. Because th- that scene, you have to spend a, a moment. Uh, if you're a human being, you have to have a hot beat of like, 
what am I watching? This is definitely a, a, a naked like fight. All right, that's a little different. But then it just becomes a really good fight. And, and you stop you stop paying attention to swing and junk. But it's clever. It's very well done to have it not be anything less than what it is. Um, that being said, I am going to go History of Violence. I think it's his best film. Um, for many of the reasons Miles brought up, I love that it's so easily digestible. It's getting at a lot of things. But you can also watch that as just a, you know, pot boiler noir. Like, it's, it's very base when it comes to its plot if you don't feel like reading into it and you can just enjoy it which is not always what Cronenberg does I feel like it's almost his most clever film in that it is very nakedly enjoyable while also being dark as hell if you want to get into like motivations because you know that's I would argue besides category issues like that's why Maribella missed was just enough voters kind of just saw it as a surface level thriller movie that was well done and didn't pay as much attention to especially her character and and how those two sex scenes play very differently and then all the things that are if you give it any attention is really doing in a phenomenally entertaining register and also just some good violence like it's really just about everything you want out of cronenberg quotable i love the um william hurt you took his eye joey just like telling you so much about this guy it's it's great. I love that movie. That's my favorite Cronenberg, so it's getting the pick. Unfortunately, we have to end on uh, A Dangerous Method or Maps to the Stars. We're just skipping Cosmopolis, I see. I mean, I uh, Cosmopolis is probably the movie of his I remember the least because I know he's in a limo, and I know people get in and out of the limo, but I couldn't tell you another thing that happens in that movie. No, that's that's the long and short of it. Yeah, um, I mean, we, we can pretend Cosmopolis is here. It's Cosmopolis or Existence. We all pick Existence. There we go. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Existence is great. Love it. Um, yeah, Dangerous Method I saw once, and I was just, I remember being very underwhelmed just because you look at that cast and, you know. And that premise and that film. And the premise of, like, you know, Freud and Jung, and then, but it all kind of becomes about the Kira Knightley character who's, like, She's good in it, but the character's not as interesting as sort of what we're sacrificing to get this version of the story. Um, it's not like horrible, but it's not, especially coming off of his last two films with Vigo, you kind of expect more. Yeah. Um, but Maps to the Stars is kind of a wreck. It's yeah. got like a small handful of like, genuinely like hilarious sort of darkly comic moments and i think julianne moore is quite good in it um it's almost a pity that robert pattinson and cronenberg worked together before like after cronenberg stopped doing his more interesting work and before pattinson started doing his most interesting work i feel like if they had intersected like at a slightly different point in time they could have made some real magic together oh it really feels maybe they they still can yeah, his like next now like, is kind horror. of the time. Totally. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, I want to see him in like a, a weird Cronenberg body horror film. I think that'd be fantastic. Totally. Um, but yeah, Maps to the Stars. It's just it doesn't really work. It's it, that's one that has too many ideas and can't really. But then it devolves into this weird like pyromaniac sort of czar like revenge thing. Yeah, yeah, it just doesn't come together. So I, I don't think either of them are great, but I guess I would give the slight edge to Dangerous Method. All right, Steve? I've seen neither, and based on what I'm hearing, it sounds like 
a good uh, way to not yeah. use my time. So ne- yeah, neither I'm, of them are essential viewing for yeah. anyone involved. No, no, <laughs> sounds they're they're two of his least two of his least essential. Um, I will, in fact, go maps to the stars. Both are so. Here's the difference: maps to the stars is that I think a bad movie that is kind of fascinating because of how little of it works for me. But it's also never boring. I, I I remember, you know, I love John Cusack. So I was like, Cusack in one of these? And everyone is kind of just in a different movie to some degree. Yeah. But it's just Mia Wasikowska so is in a different movie than any movie I've ever seen. I don't know what she's doing. Yeah. There's a, it's just, it's almost incomprehensible because it's such a simple concept also. And it seems like, I just don't know that he's the filmmaker to do that. Like a, like a no. biting, dark, pitch black satire of like spoiled Hollywood life. It's not what you think of when you think of Cronenberg. Now, here's the thing. When you think of Freud and Young and a, and a, and a, and a woman, a troubled woman and a, and a kinky relationship and forbidden things and, and taboo, I sure as shit think of David Cronenberg. And the fact that A Dangerous Method plays like a ever so slightly horned up version of a Merchant Ivory film is is a bigger disappointment to me. That's fair. So that's definitely fair. Yeah, they're, they're both wildly disappointing. But I would take the like, okay, you're trying something that you're clearly not meant to be making over the like, oh, this is so up your alley. Like, this is like when we play the like build your your movie game that we do once in a while and we'll, and we'll keep doing soon maybe today probably not today just because i don't think we're in the mood but we'll, we'll bring it back pretty soon um you know a freud movie directed by cronenberg you would come up with as like yeah this is fish in a barrel and the fact that it's so anonymously done i just i can't ever see picking it as a choice oh, oh unless a movie is just bad bad and maps to the stars is 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 almost the how did this get made movie and I and I'm kind of desperate yeah, for that. I could see that. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about uh, crimes of the future for a minute. Um, I guess I'll talk about it. You'll you guys listen. Um, just saw it earlier today. It screened at Cannes yesterday. That would have been, I believe, Monday. Um, to I would say mixed positive response. Does that make sense? Yeah, I would. I would say that's about right. I would yeah, le- it's, leaning it's- positive. Maybe a yeah, little underwhelmed, but I haven't seen anyone who hates it yet. Very few. There's been a couple, but not beyond the like, because it's extreme material, of course, it's going to happen. Um, I think it's it's okay. I, I If you ask me thumbs up, thumbs down, I'm kind of right in the middle right now. I'll decide when I write my review. Um, it could be weirder. It could stand to be weirder. It could stand to be a little more out there. The premise is pretty fucked up, but it's played... I, I don't I don't want to say like he it's it's almost like a preview. It, this feels like the appetizer for his return to body horror, if that makes sense. Like dipping his toes back in the water. Now, uh, Leia Sadu is very very good. Viggo Mortensen is fascinating in the movie. Like he's playing it very interesting. Uh, Kristen Stewart is is good. I would argue maybe miscast just because the role's not as essential to the plot as as casting her would seem but i'm thrilled that like someone like that wants to be in a cronenberg movie um there's some other characters that are that are just out there the thing it gets at at the end is is kind of weird it's it has that problem that some cronenberg films have where there's just a lot of ideas and they're fighting for which one is going to be at the forefront but 
it's also a movie where performance art is surgery and, and Christian Stewart says surgery is the new sex. And there's a line where Viggo Boyson says, I'm bad at the old sex, like, or out of practice. I'm like, it's still got the like Cronenberg, like he's winking just a little bit at you. Like, I think that's what separates Brandon, his son. I don't know if you guys have seen more than one or two of Brandon Cronenberg's movies. I saw uh, Possessor uh, the year it came out. That's yeah. Almost, almost, I haven't seen Antiviral yet. Possessor almost yeah. leans too hard into the body horror stuff. Well, um, it just has, well, Possessor has no sense of humor. No, well, I think that's you know, what he, makes the violence in it feel that much more vicious is that there's no winking aspect to it. Totally. I think Cronenberg winks a little bit, like not really Crash, but in 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 most of his other films, I would say. Existence, he's winking the hell out of you. Yeah, Existence. I would say The Fly even is is pretty yeah. serious, but is not, you know, just dour. Um, Crimes of the Future is, is has a lot of humor that I think you have to find funny to find it funny. If that makes sense, like it's if you're not down with the premise, you're not going to find anything funny here. But there's there's some some definite humor to be found. You also just have to be okay with, you know, there's there's a. There's a scene that I don't know how to describe it much better than I, I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be Leia still giving Viggo Mortensen a blowjob, but through the zipper hole in his stomach. And and he says, you know, don't spill. Like, <laughs> you See, like you either find that funny or you go, oh, no. And that's that's the movie he's making. Um, I, I definitely want to discuss this. And luckily it's coming out next week. So in a week or two, we can talk about it. Because uh, Miles will probably be there midnight. Oh, I can't can. wait. I can't wait. Um, it's not his best, but there's something there. I, I just, I'm thrilled that he's back in the world of body horror. Um, I will say, I'm keeping it very vague because I know we'll discuss it soon. It is not as as wild as some people have suggested. I know he kind of gilded Lily with like, I expect a lot of people to walk out in the last couple minutes. You're going to walk out if just the thing that's happening is something you're predisposed to not be okay with but beyond that it, it's not even the most extreme scene in the movie so i would not uh i think if you're if you're on the cusp because you're interested but you're worried if it's just too much don't be it's it's totally acceptable in terms of like out there horror so how, how would you one. in terms of that aspect of it uh, just out of curiosity how would you say it compares to something like men um they're so different. <laughs> um, men is is so strategic in its like violence and gore and and how it's doling out the horror tropes. And Cronenberg doesn't care. I mean, it's so thrown out there as common to these people. You know, they they there's surgery, sex in the movie. <laughs> like it's, but it's all played very matter of fact. Is the thing, and honestly, you don't see as much as you think you're going to see. So I, I would I would never call a David Cronenberg movie like this restrained. That's for a dangerous method. But it definitely doesn't do the thing that I think people might be worried that it is doing. Like if you were screening for Kelly and you knew she couldn't handle like real out there gore, I would say this is still probably fine. Like she might cover her eyes once or twice, but it's not going to be like, oh, God, this is awful. There's There's some... There's some upsetting things, but they're not the the, the gore. It's okay. Just sort of some of the things that happen. It's it's an interesting work. 
that I need to sit on for a little bit. I, I think Scott Feinberg said this. Scott Feinberg said a similar thing that I did when, uh, when it ended. He, he tweeted that somebody asked him what he thought. He was like, I need to chew on it for a little bit. And then was like, oh, shit, I know what I said. And I think I had said, like, I need to digest it for a moment to one of the reps. And it's the same, like, weird bad pun when you see the movie. But, it, you, you, I mean, the response out of my um, press screening was pretty mixed. But I think that's also just where you fall on on Cronenberg. So I'm I'm curious how it plays to a, a larger audience. I mean, Neon's not going to put this out super wide, but boy, are we courting an F Cinema score if it went wide? It it won't because they they have to know that Cronenberg fans are coming to this, but maybe not too many other people. But you know, I'm glad that it uh, I'm glad that it exists and uh, more to come, including. Uh, possibly a couple of interviews with the people involved. We're still working on that, but time will tell there. It's a, it's a lot, but it's also maybe not as much as you thought, if that makes sense. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Certainly it. Hasn't, I was about to say, it certainly hasn't turned you off to this in the slightest. No, I, have, um, I haven't heard anything that makes me worried, which is no. more than I can say about his last four films, at least three. What was the la- what was the prior film? Is Maps to the Stars. Oh Jesus, it's been that long? Yeah, it's been 8 years and we've missed him. That's... Yeah, but like Maps to the Stars, Cosmopolis, uh Dangerous Method, it's kind of a weak run, so it's nice to hear even if it's not up there with his best work, it's at least closer to it it seems than the last 3. I kind of feel like and I hope this isn't the case because it would be a little sad, but that part of the reason that this exists is um, that the other films didn't work. You know, that, that at a certain point it was, I guess I should return to body horror. Well, my understanding is that he's been trying to do stuff and he's been having trouble getting financing. Uh, Like he's had a couple of scripts and some, even he was trying to do some TV at one point. Like he's had a couple of things on the burner. So he hasn't been sort of sitting back and not, trying to do yeah. something it's just that i guess his specific predilections are not you know you need the right distributor you need the right you know somebody who's gonna nurture it because these are not movies that are destined to be big box office hits totally um before we do our final thing we'll, we'll do a quick can check-in where crimes of the future played to mostly strong to like we said it was mixed to positive but most people were like this is solid to find um, I don't know that there's an outward front runner for any of the awards just yet. Um, Robert's going to do a piece. I'm going to do a piece. But, um, Miles, I know you're keyed in as much as I am, maybe a little more on Ken. I, I, nothing's really been savaged, and the things that we thought were good have been good. But it's kind of interesting that, you know, Top Gun's obviously not up for awards, and that played well, and, and like, Elvis is going to do its, its thing soon. But I don't know that, like, you know, the broker and decision to leave and Armageddon time. And, and, you know, I don't know that they're playing on a real different, that I think they're all kind of in the same running. I mean, Kelly Reichardt has her film coming still. And there's one or two, um, triangle of sadness. I think people seem to like a lot. Yeah. Try- I don't know that there's anything. Yeah, go ahead. I don't know. If there's anything that really is like the one. I, I haven't heard of any, like, there's nothing that's like, Oh, unanimously. I mean, people seem to really like decision to leave. And, you know, yeah. because he's a celebrated filmmaker, that could definitely push him. Same with Broker. 
Um, Triangle of Sadness, I've heard good things about. Um, mixed to positive, but mostly positive stuff about uh, 3,000 Years of Longing, uh, which yeah. also got I mean, a very enjoyably gonzo trailer uh, last week. Yeah, uh, that, one, that one seems almost... Like, I don't know what they're going to do with that one because it's, it's gonzo and out there, but also bigger budget and aiming for some success. You know, that's not usually what they gravitate towards, even if they like it. Oh, totally. So who's, who knows? I mean, I'm George Miller might wind up with some sort of prize, but, uh, you know, the prize will be when we watch uh, Idris Elba and, and uh, Tilda Swinton have sex in a, in a bottle. And incidentally, I've heard a lot of, uh, you know, people trying to be vague in their reviews, but there's enough in there to make me feel like I fucking called it. Tilda Swinton's about to yeah. fuck that genie. Totally. You know what the thing is with, with genies that I've always wondered? You know, there, there's obviously like um, like the horror version, like Wishmaster. But, you know, like, so I think the concept is like he, he wants three wishes, her to grant, you know, he wants to grant her three wishes so he can be free, right? Right. So what's happened throughout his... his genie career as it was people do two wishes and they go fuck you back in the bottle i don't fully understand how a genie has always been a genie for so long if that's the way to stop being a genie well i know that offhand like not for this movie just like the mythology of genies and jinns well i can't speak to the mythology of jinns specifically but based on what i've read it sounds like part of the reason that he's had to keep going back in the bottle is that he has a problem with getting involved in the people who rub his lamp and that yeah, leads yeah, to consequences. I, I, I love that the genie can't keep his dick in his bottle, as it were. Um, but like, so it's a horny I, genie movie. This is, yeah, this is. Yeah, yeah. My problem is after t- I, I fuck you after two wishes every time. But like, is he bad at it? Because like, they, wouldn't the third wish you'd be like, oh, what? A, thanks for that. Like, I'll, I'll do my third wish now. I wish I had a cup of tea. Go, go free, genie. Like, how does that never happen? It, well, I guess the we got to watch the movie to find out. The questions we're going to have when we have George Miller on this podcast. And he immediately hangs up on us. You know what? We'll call Mike Rianda. He'll answer those. <laughs> He'll answer the genie questions. <laughs> I'll, I'm just going to start asking questions that I can't get asked to other uh, filmmakers, to the ones we can talk to. See how that goes. Because I'm going to ask James Gunn about that. I'm sure he has some ideas. Oh, James Gunn will have thoughts about that for sure. Oh, yeah. Um yeah, I, I think that movie is an is sort of an X factor. Armageddon Time just feels like they're gonna give it nothing, even though yeah, I've, it's I've probably seen... everyone's like second or third choice for things. Yeah, I've seen. What, you know what? Watch mostly... out for Hopkins. Hopkins, I could definitely see, which is why I'm glad I got him in our draft earlier. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, that one I've seen. Like people generally seem to like it, but I'm not seeing like gushing praise for it either which is well, kind of on par for a james, james gray yeah, yeah exactly but that makes me think, always be a little underappreciated yeah so it doesn't strike me as one that it, it's gonna it's not gonna have like that word of mouth victory no 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 i think i think we're gonna i think it actually bodes very well for kelly reichardt's film if it's any good because it's gonna sort of be able to be the last thing on people's minds barring something something else hitting i'm I'm gonna look real quick before we move on at a couple of the things that i had earmarked and just be on the lookout for for um robert's piece he's pretty good at these um i freely admit i'm not great at predictions with ken i do very well like my runners up my or like i'll i'll get the wrong award 
you know, they'll, they'll get the Grand Prix when they win the Palm. Like, I kind of have the right things in mind, but it doesn't usually work out as I would, um, you know, normally play it out. I don't think, honestly, I don't think, aside from showing up, Kelly Reichardt's film, I don't know if there's anything still to play that really is a, is going to be a factor that we know about. So, go figure. Um, that being said, uh, Tom Cruise was at Cannes for uh, Top Gun Maverick, because that's where you would have that movie. It's it's actually opening this weekend. It's the largest opening in history, screen-wise, um, which is kind of wild. And rumored to potentially be the biggest opening of Tom Cruise's career, which also wild, but I've seen the movie. I love it. I'm down with that. Um, Kate Flea would like us to play the Oscar game with Tom Cruise. Should he have won for any of his three nominations? And if so, how would that have affected Oscar history? Any other performance from him you would have nominated? Um, yeah, plenty. I I think he's uh, his drama work is, is incredible. But let's play out um, Tom Cruise and his Oscar situation. So... He has three nominations for Born on the Fourth of July, for Jerry Maguire, for Magnolia. So let's look at um, the first one. Let's look at Born on the Fourth of July. That's a lead actor. He, as I pull it up, I love that it's hard to find because they instead of his litigation is more commonly easy to find. Um, hang on. Give me one second while I work on this. Academy Award for Best Actor. Here we go. All right. So that was... The lineup was... Why am I... Just had it. Uh, Okay. So he is nominated up against... This is the 62nd Oscars, 1989. Daniel Day-Lewis wins for My Left Foot. Uh, Other nominees, Kenneth Branagh for Henry V. Morgan Freeman for Driving Miss Daisy, Robin Williams, Dead Poet Society. This is a hard one for him to win. Well, that's a pretty, that's not a bad lineup. It's a great lineup. I mean, Driving Miss Daisy is the weak one just because of the movie, but Morgan Freeman is good in that film. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, it's hard to argue against Daniel Day-Lewis. Like, that's that's acting with a, with a capital A and, like, written in blood. But, you know, you do know you can give him a different one. So that's a tempting one, right? But yeah, we would, would have you, to compare would, and contrast because yeah, I mean, well, my left foot specifically. I mean, Day Lewis deserves all of his Oscars, but like, my left foot is like that's still a performance. I feel like people talk about and like in Oscar history, like it, it's hard to imagine. And also, Born on the Fourth of July is good, but I don't know if that it's among his best work. So you're a no, Steve. How are you on this one? You a no? Um. I uh, I will spoil this a little bit by saying I actually believe he should be three for three. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll let two to one the stand. But um, my ranking of this of this category would actually be Cruz, Williams, Day Lewis, Brandon Freeman. I would I, honestly, so I, if we were to 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 take it from Day Lewis and give it to anyone, I would probably go Williams first. Yeah, I mean, I would be tempted to go Cruz. Also, just beyond my preference of just like get him that Oscar. Um, I do wonder if things would be any different if he'd had an Oscar. I don't know that it would be. I, I kind of feel like he, this is what he wants to be doing. It's not nothing that was forced upon him, but I do wonder. Um, let's move on to uh, his next crack at it, which was the 69th Oscars. Nice. Uh, 96. 
Jeffrey Rush wins for Shine. Okay, this one's not so much etched in stone. No. Um, other nominees besides Cruz: Ray Fiennes, The English Patient; Woody Harrelson, People vs. Larry Flint; Billy Bob Thornton, Sling Blade. That's yeah, a, that's a fascinating it, crop. <laughs> it's a fascinating crop, and especially considering that. Sean, um, let me pull this up for a second. Um, I mean, I'm just gonna say it, like Cruz should win this, but I wanted to look at picture. Um, I mean, they were pretty big on the English patient. I could see it having gone to fines. Patient, McGuire, and Shine were picture nominees. People versus Larry Flint had a director nominee. Sling Blade won um, adapted screenplay. Um, These were really, I mean, Dre McGuire wins supporting actor, English Patient wins supporting actress. Like, these were pre, uh, and director, like, these were all films in power positions to one degree or another. So I wonder, I wonder if it was close. Potentially. It is I mean, wild that. I think he has a better shot here than he did with 4th of July. But, you know, again, Ray Fines for, because I don't think he's been nominated since. Uh, he's so, he's uh, no. someone that would it would be good to do this game with at some point, just because yeah, yeah. he's he should be an Oscar winner by now. Um, but also, um, Bill Pat Thornton for Sling Blade. I mean, that's one of those performances w- which is so different from what he's done before or since that you're kind of like mm-hmm. it, you're almost surprised that he didn't win the Oscar for it. Mm-hmm. French fried Oscars. Um. He won the, he and won, it's the yeah, kind of transformative or, performance they really go for, too. Oh, no, no, no. Now, this lineup today, he wins. Yeah. Um, this if, if anything, Cruz the, almost seems like the most, like, like he's great in Jerry Maguire, don't get me wrong, but it's almost the most sort of standard of these maybe characters more so than performances. I will say that aside from Jeffrey Rush, like, and the idea of Shine, like, considering the 90s, this is the thing that would have happened. Like Jeremy, like a star turn winning. Yeah. Um, so it just maybe the timing was a little wrong, but I, I vote yes. So how do you vote on this one? Um, I mean, I'm holding out because I have a very yeah. I'm holding out for Magnolia, but I I think I I wouldn't say no. So I'll, if it's between yes or no, I'll say yes. All right, Steve. So yes, meaning what? Let me make sure. I'm... Would you Would you give Tom Cruise the Oscar for this? No. Okay. I'd stick with Jeffrey Rush. I like Jeffrey Rush's performance quite a bit. All right. So we haven't really affected Oscar history. I still think no matter what. I mean, Jeffrey Rush not having this one, I don't know what would necessarily happen. Daniel Day-Lewis not having one, we know he would just win several others, so that's not a huge deal. Um, now, the 72nd Oscars, 99, our infamous 99 year. This one people should be very familiar with. Um, and this is a goddamn slam dunk but we'll get into it michael kane wins for the cider house rules oh yes. fucking we don't need to go through it fucking give it to Cruz for magnolia <laughs> what for those who don't cider know house. the other nominees cider yeah. house nah the other nominees cider house aside from Cruz, sucks michael clark duncan for the green mile oh. yeah michael dark michael clark duncan the green mile he's good he doesn't need to win hmm. jude law the talented mr ripley that's that's not the performance to win from that. I also am not a huge fan of that movie, but I know I'm the only one. And Haley Joel Osment, The Sixth Sense, he's great. He'd be my second choice, but this is a runaway for Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise should have, in my book, three, but definitely two Oscars. If, if he happened? only got one out of these three, it's absolutely this one. 
And I think it's his best performance, like by by a fair margin. What, what happened here? I mean, the how academy, did it not happen? The academy, the, the academy played it very safe, and I believe just to some degree, Kane steamrolled towards the end. It was, I think, it was a little bit of a late contender. I might be wrong, but yeah, it was the it was the safe, Beatty performance. Veteran actor who's already won, and and Tom Cruise is is out there in that film. It's it's a bold, like, he's asking a little bit of you in that performance. And I think there was just enough people who couldn't get down with it, who couldn't, uh, couldn't, couldn't give a chance to, to that character. S- similar to um, the other one we were talking about, I think uh, if it was the same lineup now, I think he would have a much better shot. Oh, yeah. So, again, I don't know that history changes. If anything, it might, it might be good for PTA. Get, a, get another person to have an Oscar. Well, I think um, if Cruz so, has one under his belt, maybe he, like, keeps working with interesting directors doing, like, weird dramas and stuff. Maybe not, like, full-time, but maybe a little bit longer than he did. Yeah. Other things he's been nominated for, because uh, Kay Flea asked about um, any other performance of him you would have nominated. I'll just give you some of the ones that did get nominated. Uh, Risky Business. What These are Globe nominations, for example. Risky Business, A Few Good Men, The Last Samurai, Tropic Thunder. Um, other things he's done that would be worthy. I mean, I really like all the right moves, but I'm not going to pretend that's uh, something that would have been nominated. I think he's close to nomination worthy for Risky Business. Um, Rain Man. It's kind of yeah. wild he didn't get nominated. I'd agree with that. Um, yeah. I mean, part of it was they didn't try the category fraud. Um, I also think um, one that has been mentioned, I think he's really good in uh, Collateral. Yeah. Like, that's one of his best, like, villain performances. He kind of does a similar thing in Interview with the Vampire, and I think he's amazing in that. But he probably loses points because he's not in half the movie. Sure. I like uh, like him in Eyes Wide Shut. I know that movie was never going to be that thing because people had so decided what that film was. Um good in vanilla sky people didn't get it great in minority report people treated it like a oh he, action movie yeah he is great in that and that's a great movie but it's not an oscar movie or performance really yeah i mean the one that's, I that's could, the, I, the, the last samurai like i think that movie should have done a bit better uh, nominations wise i think that's one that kind of got slept on at the time especially because it wasn't yet problematic well, you I know, don't like, even know that it is now. I think that's one where a lot of the, watch the movie. It's not just I, talk about it, the premise. I've it seen is. it somewhat recently. I don't, I don't. Well, well, you know that if it had been made now, it wouldn't have gotten that far because it would have it would have caught the buzz of being problematic. Well, no, totally. But like, I mean, even by the standards of white man comes to a foreign culture and becomes the best ever at their ways. I mean, I think. I can't think of any movie that does that better than this one. And beyond that, it's the thing that people always jab about it is like, oh, Tom Cruise is the last samurai. But if you look at like the Japanese characters and the way they do it, they're it, they're using the plural. They're not talking about him. They're talking about the people yeah. he's fighting with, like the group no, no, in general. Group. Yeah, um, exactly. So I think that helps to sidestep it a little bit. I mean, it's still not a great look, but I think if you if you take that aside he's very good in it and it's a, it's a really great movie totally and the other one that i it's not that it's worthy 
but was a hell of a missed opportunity is Lions for Lambs. Like him as the evil senator. Like that sh- that should be teed up for best supporting actor. It, but, it would yeah. have been if the movie was better. Exactly. Also, I think they they just they didn't do enough like that. Like in a bubble, a movie, a like a, a political movie about that war and about war in general, where it's kind of the centerpiece sequence is a long debate between Meryl Streep and, and Tom Cruise. Like Oscar should have just came and, and you watch it and it's very just kind of lays there. It's disappointing. Well, and isn't that probably one of the last ones where he worked with sort of a a big director who's not just going to be like one of his action guys? For the most part. I mean, Tropic Thunder is a cameo, so I won't count that. Um, but, you know, Valkyrie is, is kind of a hybrid. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Rock of Ages doesn't count, but... The only other one I can think of is kind of American made. But even that's with that's, Doug Lyman, who we already worked with. Exactly. It's Doug Lyman, so it's it's not the same thing. Um So yeah, I think that kinda that kind of was the like, I don't want to be associated with a failure. So I'm gonna, you know, skedaddle. Which is a which is a shame. Because I think he's very good at it. But, you know, it's where we are. Um let's wrap up. Um, Steve, unless you have a performance you want to mention. Uh, no, all good. Okay, so let's wrap up on uh, on Ryan McDermott has a quick uh, Tom Cruise related one first. Or do you want to save it for next week after you guys watch uh, Top Gun? Let's just do it now. I'm, t- I'm in the Tom Cruise mood. <laughs> all right. You feel the need, the need for cruise? For cruise control, all right. yes. All right, we'll do it relatively quickly. Uh, risky business or Top Gun? Uh, Risky Business is a better performance. Top Gun's a better movie. Um, well, it is, but not by that much. I'll actually go Risky Business. All right, Steve? Yeah, I'll go Risky Business also. Top Gun's never been. Yeah, it's a sweep. A Top Gun. Top Gun's a a solid movie. Um, the new one is so much better. So much better. Um, Risky Business is great. Um, Rain Man or Jerry Maguire? Um, again, I think he's better in Jerry Maguire, but I think I enjoy Rain Man overall more as a movie. I'll go Rain Man. All right. Steve? Yeah, I think Jerry Maguire was great on the first couple of watches, but I don't think it sits as well. I think Rain Man still holds up, so Rain Man as well. Um, I like Rain Man. Uh, I love Jerry Maguire. It still holds up for me. It's an oh, really? utter classic, so I will go. I will go Jerry Maguire. I can watch it every day. Love that movie. Wow. Um, years ago, years ago, my uh, an ex girlfriend of mine. It was like her family's like go to movie. I was so delighted to hear that. Like it's, I mean, there are people who are a little more lukewarm like you guys, but it's very hard to find someone who doesn't like Jerry Maguire. It's just such a likable movie. Um, Born on the Fourth of July or A Few Good Men. A uh, few good men. Uh, Born on the Fourth of July is fine but it's not among stone's best or cruise's best a uh, few good men is just classy and awesome yeah a few good men a few good men has got is just you know old, not old school but let's say old school uh big cinema you know it's like a, a packed movie house for big names with demi moore and nicholson and you know and that scene is the scene is uh, iconic and will be forever. So, uh, 
Yeah, a few good men. And deservedly so. Yeah, and yeah, and it's and it's it's freaking awesome too. It is amazing to to yeah. like just to watch. It's just it's a fun watch. Yeah, well, Rob Ryan and the Towers. Yeah, I I will go with you, Good Man, as well. Um, I think he's better in Born on the Fourth of July, but yeah, the movie has some peaks and valleys there. Uh, a few Good Men is just so well done. It's mm-hmm. um, it goes to the thing that I've I've heard someone talk about for um, for Steven Spielberg movies, and you know sometimes you just want to be uh, nestled in the bosom of a Hollywood film. Exactly. And you know what? A Few Good Men is a Hollywood film, and you feel comforted and entertained. Uh, Interview with the Vampire or Mission Impossible? Ah, damn. I do like the first Mission Impossible a lot. Um, I think it's aged, like, really gracefully and, like, in a way that makes it fascinating in in the scope of the broader series. Interview with the Vampire, though, is really good, and he's doing some really interesting work in it. Ah, this, yeah. uh, this is a tough one. This might be the toughest yet. Oh, I'm going to give the slight edge to Mission Impossible because he's the best part about Interview with the Vampire, but the second half kind of drags after he's not in it anymore. All right. Steve? Yeah, I'm not as big on, on either of these. They're, they're both good, but neither are, yeah. are favorites. So um, flip a coin. Let's go with Mission Impossible. All right. I mean, I feel I feel similar, so I'll go interview with the vampire just so it's not a sweep, um, or so we, we mix it up as much as we can. Uh, here's my real tough one: Eyes Wide Shut or Magnolia? Oh, uh, yeah, not tough for me. Magnolia is a masterpiece. Uh, it's I think his best performance. Eyes Wide Shut. I probably need to watch again. I think I was probably too young to really get it when I first saw it, and I've never gone back. You weren't horny enough. I wasn't horny enough. I was too young. Um, yeah, it's... I don't know. I probably need to revisit it. But yeah, Magnolia all the way. All right. Steve? Yeah, uh, same. And pretty much all counts. Magnolia is top five, maybe top three for me. Uh, I don't really typically rank. But yeah, it's, uh, it's up there. And Cruz oh, yeah, is no. fantastic in it. And uh, yeah. Let's go with Magnolia. Yeah, it's a sweep. Magnolia is one of my five favorite films of all time. So, like, it's nothing against Magnolia so much as I really kind of wanted Eyes Wide Shut somewhere else so I could pick it because I think it's kind of underrated. It's really fascinating to watch. Um, Miles, when you rewatch it, we'll talk about it. Um, it's it's another option for our eventual, like, listeners pick what we watch one day. It was an answer. Oh, yeah. Mission oh, oh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, choose between that and Mars Attacks. <laughs> You know what? We're we're getting that. That might be that might be an interesting choice. Um, Mission Impossible two or Mission Impossible three? Uh, three. It um it has the best villain in the whole series so far with Philip Seymour Hoffman, and it's like a solid sort of return to form. Mission Impossible two is a John Woo film, which gives it some style points, but it's John Woo with the edges sanded off, and yeah. it's it's way too long and too plot heavy to really be super enjoyable. You got a, you got a, you got a wife. You got a girlfriend. I'm gonna find her. I'm gonna hurt her real bad. Just Philip Seymour Hoffman as a very calm villain. What is, is and what really blew well-putting. my mind is I rem- That's like the first movie he did after he won his Oscar too. Like what a fucking yeah. power move. Yeah, it's like wait, you'll pay me how much? And I just kind of strut about and occasionally yell at Tom Cruise. Yeah, I'll do this. 
Uh, Steve? Yeah, I'm going uh, Mission Impossible 3 as well. I thought 2, I thought 2 was possibly the end of, of the franchise or the the start of the franchise. It just didn't didn't kick as well as the uh, as the first. It felt like I don't know. For me, it felt more like we're going we have dim- diminishing results. And it has uh, the least personality of all of them. Yeah, yeah which it, is it's, surprising. It's the weakest of the franchise. Like I don't yeah. think many yeah, people with, would with argue. With it being John Woo, it should be the most distinctive, and it's not. Three takes a step up in the right direction, and then the fact that it's still around. How many years later? We're we looking at twenty years, thirty years later now. Something like that. Yeah, it's almost. Uh, it's 30, and then they've yeah. only gotten progressively better. And yeah, yeah. And that's that's like that's it's quite quite an impressive uh, franchise for that alone. You know, if you yeah, you very rarely do you have like maybe horror films. There are some that like they dip and they come up and down, but not something with this level of uh of, you know the budget the stars and you know and the uh no, no the profile so yeah no they would pull the plug as soon as it would have a yeah a well, cruise, like it would never get that way it would never be cruise after after two it would be he'd be replaced and brought back for five or six but uh yeah totally. so um yeah vanilla sky or minority report I don't know if I've seen Vanilla Sky all the way through. I've definitely seen like really? bits and pieces on TV, but I don't think I've ever watched it beginning to end. And it's, I didn't love the stuff that I did see of it. Maybe it'll play better if I do it from beginning to end, but the stuff I saw is kind of just weird and abstract and artsy in a way that movie stars tried to be at that period of time, but weren't always successful at. I'm uh, guessing you haven't seen Open Your Eyes, the, the original? No. Um, oh, but uh, Minority Report is one of my favorites. Uh, it's probably my favorite Spielberg film since the turn of the century. Honestly, it's it's so mm. it's so good and so rewatchable for me. So yeah, not even close. Fair, Steve. Um, I like the weird abstract artiness of Vanilla Sky. Uh, Minority Report. There's a lot going on there, and I think a lot of films after it have uh, have stolen from it. And I think actually a lot of uh, modern day technology has, has st- stolen a lot of from it, um, you know. So it's it's tough, but and it's been a while since I've seen it, so I, I can't recall. But I remember having an issue with the last half hour, um, where Vanilla's yeah. guy, you know, it, it's it, it, going back to the uh, a few good men. You know, sometimes there's a film that the type of film you want to watch, and and that. That's a type of film, a film where you turn it on and you're not sitting there. You know, you're there's just something more to it. You know, and, and the artsiness and the abstract abstractness of it is uh, something uh, kind of like a comfort food. So I'm gonna go with Vanilla Sky. Nice. I do. I do like Vanilla Sky quite a bit. I wonder how much of it is the Cameron Crowe of it all, mm-hmm. but um, I, I will still go Minority Report because that's just sort of high concept sci-fi action done right. But uh, I do want to shout out Vanilla Sky as being worth a watch and, and kind of an interesting mess and the one outlier in Cameron Crowe's career. So I, I love it for that. So nothing against Vanilla Sky. And a great cast. Um, yeah, totally. Um, Miles, this one's kind of, I think, meant almost to screw with you. Last Samurai or Collateral? Ah, no, it's two of my favorites of his. Oh, no. Um, they're both great. Collateral is amazing. 
I've probably gone back to The Last Samurai more often, and I think I get a little bit more out of it. Uh, Collateral is like like 80% of a perfect movie, but the last, you know, once they get out of the cab and it kind of just becomes, a, you know, killer in the building kind of movie, I think it yeah. loses a little bit of its bite. Whereas Last Samurai is great from beginning to end. I need to rewatch both. I also recall, like, Mark Ruffalo being kind of done dirty. Um, yeah, I mean, he's in it. <laughs> Javier yeah. Bardem is in it, too, before he kind of became doesn't, big. Doesn't Ruffalo get, like, killed pretty unceremoniously at one point? Yeah, you sort of think, oh, this is going to be the guy, like, the, the law enforcement guy that we're going to be with throughout. And then, yeah, I can't even remember what happens to him. I think he just... I think he gets shot. Like, I feel like Tom Cruise just shoots him at one point. Oh yeah, no, no, no. He he has a really quick like. There's like the nightclub shootout or something, and then he yeah, has he a like really quick like um, uh, inter- uh, interaction with Jamie Fox, where it's like, oh, okay, this is a cop that would actually help me, and then Tom Cruise just shows up and shoots him. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very. Yeah, uh, I remember that. Yeah, I, I remember even then, and like spoilers for this twenty-year-old movie or whatever. Yeah, and Mark Ruffalo wasn't the name that he is now. But I'd known him from things. So I was kind of like, oh, cool, that guy's it. Oh, never mind. <laughs> never mind. Um, Steve, where do you fall on that one? Mm, I'll go collateral. Last Samurai or collateral? Yeah? Yeah, I, I liked uh, the last sa- the, the last Samurai uh, was never – was I, was this – I can't remember the timeline of the Tom Cruise timeline, but um, it was one of the films that I seemed to take heat pretty early on and and fans have already started to distance themselves from him if i recall and uh for some reason they have a they there's periodically problems with him and period stuff i feel like i don't think it's the material always but like like far and away things that yeah yeah like a far and away this like there were there's a handful of movies that just you don't hear as much about when it comes to things that you like that he's done you know, I mean, there's other ones like a, like a Days of Thunder, but you know, that's you better like NASCAR. Also, it's Top Gun with cars, but you know, there's that too. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm gonna go Collateral, but I think oh, it does collateral. say something that. Yeah, I, it does say something that Vanilla that um, Last Samurai is almost uh, one of his like underrated, underseen things at this point. I don't, I don't know, I don't, I never, you never would have intended a big Ed Zwick movie to be that way though. Um, Edge of Tomorrow or Rogue Nation? Um, I like Rogue Nation. I don't like it as much as, say, Ghost Protocol or Fallout. But it is, yeah. you know, it's part of that, you know, Mission Impossible bigger and better than ever. Um, Edge of Tomorrow is just delightful. It's easily rewatchable. It's one of my favorite of his... It might be my favorite... Oh, well, not Minority Report. But, like, of his later, like, non-franchise, just sort of, like high concept action movies it's it's yeah. a lot of fun I, he gets to kind of play against type in it because he's a huge coward for much of the movie uh yeah. which i really appreciate and uh r.i.p bill paxton so edge of tomorrow yeah. for me steve yeah edge of tomorrow is one of my favorite uh, infinite loop films um i had a feeling you were gonna like it yeah a this there's a there's a lot that I, I love about it and it's it's one when i first saw it I was surprised. It's one of those films, again, that didn't get the... I think it, it found its audience maybe you know in, in DVD or, or whatever at that point. But As as live, die, repeat, yeah. Yes, yeah. But it's... Uh, I 
I think it's one of his. I, for me, it's one of his very top. Uh, it's one of the most rewatchable, of probably maybe the think, most rewatchable. So, I think we kind of did it dirty a little bit by saying it was good, but not saying it was great when we kind of meant it. It was at that moment where, like Tom Cruise, you thought might have been waning a little bit, and there wasn't this burning desire to like go to a Tom Cruise film. And I think it was a miss calculation by people and not like say no this is like really good this is better than you think this is different than you think it's doing something different and and you know in a way that like top gun is getting right now and and top gun is is truly great but edge of tomorrow i think could have had a similar like anticipatory situation if people had treated it that way as opposed to like nah, it's solid because i remember there was a lot of like no look over at emily blunt and she's great in the movie Mm-hmm. But it was almost let's talk as little about Tom Cruise as we can. Um, so I'm going to go Edge tomorrow as well. Rogue Nation solid. I think it's better than than in the first three, but it's a definite weak link among the the back end Mission Impossible's. Yeah, um, it has a pretty good uh, you know Tom Cruise trying to kill himself scene. But beyond that, I mean. The plot is a little jumbly. Like it's it's not too far removed from like the Bond like Spectre. Like we're everywhere, um, but it's it's fine. Uh, well, y- you know where we are now. This is the last thing before we go. Fallout or Ghost Protocol? Um, so these are my two favorite Mission Impossible films. Uh, Ghost Protocol. I remember. I don't think I had. I think I'd seen three, but I don't think I'd seen the first two Mission Impossible films when I saw Ghost Protocol. I kind of like I don't I don't think I was like hugely looking forward to it, but I got tickets to uh, go to an early screening in IMAX. And did you just want to see the Dark Knight Rises trailer? I did. But because it was a preview screening, they didn't have it. (laughs) So I had to go see it again just to get that, Um, which I didn't mind because I tell you what, seeing it in IMAX, that scene where he's climbing the Burj Khalifa. Holy fucking shit. Like I was blown away. Um, And that whole movie is fun. Um, well, I, you feel like you're there and you really, and that was, I think the first time where it really hit me is like, God damn, he is going to like put himself out there and like possibly plummet to his death for our entertainment. I got to tell you, I went to the Burj Khalifa when I was in Dubai and, uh, it was less scary than watching him in that movie. Well, I have to imagine. Um, yeah. and yeah, Brad Bird does a great job with the, t- so ghost protocol is delightful. That said, I think Fallout is probably the best Mission Impossible movie. It's got some phenomenal stunt work in it. And it's also just like a really tight, like, you know, action blockbuster. Like the scale of it is really impressive. I think Henry Cavill is probably the best antagonist outside of Philip Zimmer Hoffman in one of do these you, movies. You, is it because he cocks his fists like shotguns? He he reloads his fists and that's a fucking badass, like legendary uh, action movie moment and that whole fight in the bathroom is great the helicopter chase like there's so many amazing is it is it also that because he has the mustache he fucked up justice league even more are you just giving it extra credit for that i mean it does give me a little schadenfreude to think about that yes but it's also a yeah. good looking mustache like i wouldn't have lost yeah. that mustache if i was working on True. them fuck justice league you of, don't know them anything <laughs> he, he got a lot of mileage out of making fun of that too yeah no i it's it's close. They are both great, but I think I give Fallout the slight edge. All right, Steve. I'll go Fallout. I think a lot of these blur into you know into uh, each other for yeah. me. I have to go and, and take a look back. But yeah, after hearing your comments, yeah, that's the one. 
Oh yeah, they're they're um I'll go Ghost Protocol just so it's not a sweep because they're so close. But Fallout has a really good ending, which I think helps it. Like that 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 fight kind of trying not to fall off the side of a fucking cliff is really well done. Um whereas I I feel like the Ghost Protocol ending is also good. Like that that has the like gotta hold your breath underwater thing that's also wild because I think That's he, in uh Rogue Nation. Oh, that's Rogue Nation. Okay, so Rogue Nation has that ending. Ghost Protocol um, ending is uh, he fights uh, Michael Nyquist in the car park. That's what which, I was about to say. Cause, cause which is good. The car which park is a lot is of kind fun. Of, it's fun, but also like it ends. It's in a it's not rush. as imp- that's a movie where the middle is more impressive than the ending. Yes, the reason I'm going Ghost Protocol is I think the Burj Khalifa stunt is the single best sequence in the franchise. I I can't argue against that. Yeah, and also it has the the amazingly fun moment of. So it sets up uh, the aforementioned from Crimes of the Future. Leia Sado is like this really badass assassin. And uh, she gets kicked out the window of the Burj Khalifa. Oh, boy, does she. <laughs> like, like obviously you death. don't see it because it's a PG-13, but you got to imagine she's just like splattered just, on the ground outside, just like a puddle she, of she just went, giblets. Yeah, she went splat. And that's kind of wonderful. Um, so, yeah, that's that's where we're at there. Okay, so let's wrap up. You can uh, say where you can be followed, and um, in the interest of not going back to the original point that we made at the beginning, because let's not end on a full downer, um, tell me something good that's going on in your life, because we've got plenty of bad we've discussed, and we'll continue to discuss. Uh, all right. Well, you can find me on both Twitter and Letterboxd at Miles on Film. That's M-Y-L-E-S on Film. Please check out my short films, American Exorcist and Once Upon a Dracula. They're both on YouTube under Aftershock Pictures and Chase Capo, respectively. You can find my writing on both Ward's Radar and Looper. And uh, something good that's happening, you know, to go back to Mission Impossible, uh, the Mission Impossible 7 trailer, Dead Reckoning Part 1, is probably the best trailer I've seen in a hot minute, and I've rewatched it an embarrassing number of times. Nice. Um, Which is funny because no shade on the gray man, but that movie did itself no favors. Oh, my God. I feel so bad for it. (laughs) Like, I mean, mean, it looks fine and it's got a good cast, but yeah, like two big epic you know spy movie trailers coming out like next to each other like man you look at the two next to each other and that one does not stand a chance no but it'll it's you know it's it's gonna get you to watch because it's on netflix it has the trick of like it's free even though it's not free um no it's got some big stars like i'll definitely i'm I'm gonna watch it no doubt yeah you want to watch the russos and and they're, they're with marcus and mcfeely like i'm sure it's going to be good but yeah it's Especially when you know you're going to watch uh, Dead Reckoning Part One in a theater, potentially in IMAX. Like you're gonna, it's going to be an event, and you're going to watch Gray Man like in your underwear, and like never think about it after it's done. Probably, maybe it's maybe it's a little better than that. You'd hope they've certainly spent the money to make it a franchise, and it seems like they're they're pleased. But we'll see. Um, Steve, how about you? Uh, you can find me at Film Snork on twitter and letterboxd um you can also give a listen to the verse where we're covering star trek strange new worlds which is the star trek series that if you want to jump in and always wondered why people like it uh give it a watch and then listen to our episodes where we break down do a little 101 kind of connecting it to the bigger star trek universe because i think star trek is seems like a, a very big franchise to uh to kind of 
take a bite out of and find your way. But we help you do that. Um, as for something good going on, uh, I've had some great conversations with some uh, amazing people uh, who do amazing work. Amazingly creative people who turn out to be very nice. Yeah. Uh, and you'll find those all on Awards Radar in the coming days and weeks. So uh, keep an eye out and ear out for those. Totally. Earlier today, I had two phenomenal conversations um, with Gary Oldman and Paul Feig, which, uh, you know, it's always nice when people are nice and you have a good time with them. Um, uh, you can find me at Joey Magazine, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, all that stuff. Awards Radar is on several of those. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm bad at the good things, but, you know, I own a pretty cool website. I guess that works. Um, as a bonus, um, you can each tell someone to go fuck themselves. Uh, you know, uh, Ted Cruz, you can go with Greg Abbott, your, your choice. I mean, I'll never, got one? I'll never turn down an opportunity to tell Ted Cruz to fuck himself because that guy's just a leech on America's pustules. Yes. Steve, you got one? Yeah, I have too many, but I'm, you know what? I'm, I'm, there's too much negativity out there. I'm going to. I'm going to refrain. That's fair. They, yeah. they have enough. They have um, enough people saying it that it's not helping. So yeah, you know, I you know what you're. That's right. So I, I I'm glad that Miles got one, and I'll refrain. I'll just say, I. Well, now I, I look like an asshole. No, no, no. It's fine. <laughs> no, no. Um, just uh, you know what? I'll go, Greg. I'll, I'll say, Greg, I'll say, fuck Greg Abbott. But um, you know what I liked? I liked that custom. Madison. Yeah, there you go. Um, I like that Madison Cawthon lost his primary. So, you know, I'm sure he's replaced by a Republican who's not going to vote the way I want on anything. But I love that a person who just seems like a bad person doesn't get to keep his job. Like, that's what we need to be doing more of. Um, you know, whether it's the Greg Abbott's, the Ted Cruz's, the people who want to pretend they're doing more, the Marco Rubio's of the world. Um, vote. I'll reiterate what I said to be in vote. And maybe we can change something. Because, you know, this is this was a primary day. Like, there were... There are people on the ballot who are running with the express purpose of trying to overturn an election in a couple of years. So there's so many reasons to care about who's on the ballot beyond the fact that some people aren't okay with you getting murdered. So please choose wisely. As I said in the thing I put up on the site earlier tonight that you can read. So it'll be Tuesday when you listen to this on Thursday. Uh, Vote like your life depends on it because it fucking does. And uh, we'll be back next week. We'll talk more Top Gun. I imagine uh, Miles and Steve will have seen it. Uh, We might even be able to talk some other things. And, uh, you know, it'll be time to start Tribeca soon. And the summer movie season, I will, um, I'm seeing the new Jurassic World pretty soon. Like, there'll be stuff to talk about. So, stay tuned. And we will see you guys at the movies. Bye, y'all. Oh, and uh, apropos of nothing, fuck Jared Leto. Just cuz. Yeah, why not? There you go. (laughs) Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and to visit awardsradar.com for the best in awards and entertainment content.